some of the most difficult moments on this earth. Maybe the closest, the closest feeling of hell itself on earth are times when we have broken relationships. Times when we feel isolated and separated. The pain that comes from people we don't even know real well that we, we have hostilities to. And then people that we know real well. I mean, I, I think that's some of the deepest emotional pain that we have. Some of the most miserable times in my life, and I think probably you would say some of the most miserable times that you've ever experienced is when you are at odds with somebody in a relationship. Conversely, when there's times of grace offered and there's repentance and there's that little special word, I'm sorry, I messed up, I blew it, whatever. I've... And then through that, there's this reconciliation and the footing is re-strengthened and the relationship is restored. And there's, there's this, this joy and this freedom that comes. I, I think that's, that's some of the closest moments of heaven on earth. When everything all of a sudden is good again. Any relationship that's in good standing is good, but one that was headed over the cliff and all of a sudden it's good again. Oh, man. You ever been there? I mean, we have severed relations and we have painful relationships, difficult ones, arduous relationships. How many of you would say, don't, don't raise your hand. Uh, I, I'm right now, I have a difficult relationship with somebody that I'm going through. In fact, you, you might have ridden the church, rode to church with, with them. Don't, don't look at them if, if that's the case. I mean, you can kind of out of the corner of your eye, but don't like tilt your head. They'll know. They'll, it's, it's painful. It's painful. I think sometimes the, what we don't put together in this whole series as we close it down is, you know, when, when we rebel against God and we declare war on God, when, when, as one theologian said, we, we commit treason against God, that rebellion thing, um, it, it not only separates us from God, but it's, it often the casualties are, are in our relationships with one another. It, it separates us from one another. And that's the problem as well. And here's the good thing. When, when Jesus, who we talked about last week, when Jesus becomes the center of your life, it closes that gap. It, it draws you near unto God again and gives you the capability and the ability and the empowerment to close the gap with some relations. That's what he's all about. And I think one of the tools of our enemy is to, is to take that, that relationship aspect and, and, and break it apart. And what I want you to know is, when, <clears throat> excuse me, when you become a Christian, when you follow Jesus, you are, you are incorporated into him. And his peace and his grace and his forgiveness is now for you. And you, you become a kingdom person. There's no phrase that we used to call the kingdom of God. It was called simply the kingdom of peace the kingdom of peace, and it reigns within you, God's kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn in your, in your journals. Some of it is in there in Ephesians and Philippians that, that kind of just 
walks out what, what all this is about, what, what this piece is about. And I want us to look in the second chapter of Ephesians. Some of it's on the screen as well. I'm going to read this straight out. Um, I get kind of excited over Ephesians, but I, I know that it takes, you can't just kind of go read Ephesians and get excited because it's, it, it's kind of, it goes around in circles. So at first reading, just listen to these words. Verse 12, excuse me, verse 13 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man, one new humanity, if you will, out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, now you can wake up after we've gone through all that. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So if you don't catch anything else, catch the consequently. You're part of God's kingdom. You're citizens with him because of what he does. You're, you're part of his household. Here's what, here's what God does. Through Jesus, he takes strangers and makes them friends. That's why you're part of his, of his kingdom. He takes, he takes enemies and makes them family. He takes foreigners and makes them citizens in this kingdom. Consequently, you're part of this kingdom. You're part of this family. Later on in that, in that same little paragraph, he says, you're, you're like a temple. You're, you're, you're like living stones in a temple that he dwells in. He lives in you. That's the consequence. That's who you are. That's who, that's who we are. This is us, his kingdom, his family. Now, when you go back through those words I just read, there's some underlying portions. It's, he's our peace, he makes peace, he, he preaches peace. He is peace, he makes peace, he preaches peace. What in the world is he talking about? In our conflicts in life, and whether it's international conflicts or whether it's in your own home, you ever ask, how did we get here? What in the world's going on? Why, why are we like this? Why is there so much difficulty? I read uh, one author said it all goes back, it's really simple, it all goes back to the invention of a brick. That's pretty simple, isn't it? The great technology of a brick. It used to be everybody was nomads, and if you didn't like your neighbors, you moved away. And you're always moving. Where there was water, whether there's food, whether there's green grass for your, your animals, and you, you're constantly moving. But with a brick, you're able to stack another brick, taught another brick, and pretty soon you have a home that is shelter from weather and, and protection from the elements. 
and pretty soon you add rooms because your family grows and then you add more houses and pretty soon you have a village and you have a, a community and a culture and then someday one somebody comes up to the patriarch and says hey there's another group of people over there and they're bigger than us and they're kind of threatening and all of a sudden fear goes on and, and somewhere the patriarch, patriarch of the family says you know we're not only going to use our bricks to build our, our home we're going to use these bricks to build a wall to protect us a barrier to keep them over there and us safe and pretty soon that becomes the secret to life build a barrier to keep us from them and them from us all throughout the old testament god keeps telling his people you're a light to the nations you're a light to the nations you're a light to the nations and they go that's them we have barriers that keep us from them the philistines and the hittites and the Leotites and the Neotites and all the other Titites, all those guys. We don't want to be around them. Let's keep away from them. And God says, no, you're, you're, you're to walk humbly with God. You're to, you're to do justice. You're to, you're to be loving. Uh, no. In fact, all the revelation of God that starts coming to them becomes more barriers. This is us, but that's you, and you can't, you can't be us, and we don't want you to be us. You stay there, and we're here. And conflict through the ages still goes with that. So much so that one day, when they were, they were deciding to build a temple, they, they built Herod's temple up on the mount. It was like 30 acres of, of land that they built this huge temple. It took 10 years just to build the foundation, brick upon brick, stone upon stone thousands of people carrying it was so ornate with marble and with gold it, it became one of the wonders of of that area tourists would come from the world around they were intrigued let's see this temple built to the hebrew god and let's let's maybe we can see god and they would come from a long distance away josephus one of the historians said you know there was something about this temple that captured the mind and eye of everyone who would ever see it. It was gold-plated for the most part. So when the sun shined on it, you would look at it, and it was like looking directly in the sun. You couldn't even, you couldn't even gaze upon it. From a distance, it looked like a mount that was snow-covered. And off in the distance, as, as these people were expecting to be able to go to the very house of God, they would see this, and their anticipation would grow and grow and grow. And as they got closer, it's like, we're going to see God. We're going to see where God dwells. We're going to see the God of this, this nation that, that we hear so much about. And as they got closer and closer and closer, the closer they got, they would finally find that there was a barrier that said, you come past this barrier, you're not welcome. In fact, if you get killed, it's your own fault. Don't blame us if we kill you. It's up to you to stay over there. You don't have access to God. Just so you can kind of understand what that big temple was like, let's make it a small scale. It was the most segregated place on earth maybe ever make it on a smaller scale if, if it was this church let's say the holy of holies which is where god himself lives the ark of the covenant remember indiana jones that the ark of the covenant was there it was it was most beautiful gold and marble ornate and if it was up on the stage and back even these curtains were the holy of holies you don't even know what how far it goes back in there but you can't go in there no one goes that's where god lives once a year 
not just a priest, but a high priest would go in there. Not, you know, not, not like Cameron. We're talking Matt that would go in there only. And, and that was a danger going in there. Then this area would be the court of the, of the priests. They are the ones who attended the, the temple and do that. And, and, and no one else could come in here but priests. This is where the, they would hang out. And then you go outside those doors and you go into the lobby area, and that was the court of Jewish men and Jewish men only. No women allowed. And then you go further all the way to the, go to the youth area. That's the court of the women, the Jewish women. And only Jewish women could go in there. And then it was kind of a descending hill a little bit, and you go down and stairs would go way down. And if you go way down in the parking lot, maybe beyond the parking lot, there was another court called the court of the Gentiles. And that's where if you were not a Jewish woman, Jewish man, or a priest, that's as close as you could get to God. And you could not go beyond this wall, this barrier. Now, Paul, when he writes to this, this, um, this letter to Ephesus, to the church in Ephesus, he's in prison. We've heard that before. Do you ever wonder why he was in prison? Was it just, you know, that parking tickets that he didn't pay for? Why, why in the world was he in prison? If you ever get a chance later this afternoon, it's an astounding story in, in the 21st chapter of Acts and beyond that kind of gives you the reason for all this. Paul, in one of his travels, comes back from Ephesus and Corinth and all these, these Greek cities, and he decides he wants to go to this temple and worship God and, and make sacrifices. And so he comes to the temple. He has some Gentile friends with him, but he knows better than to bring them into the depths of, of, the, of the temple. He leaves them out in the courts of the Gentiles. People see him, Jews that recognize him, and they had seen with him walking down the center of town, him with these Gentiles, and they just automatically think he's brought the Gentiles into our temple, and they start yelling and screaming, and there's thousands of people that are gathered here to worship, and they all start yelling and screaming at, at Paul. They grab him, they drag him out of the temple, and they start beating the living tar out of him. Just trying to kill him. Now the Romans had towers that looked over into the, down over the wall into the temple because they were always suspicious of what was going on. And they saw what was happening and they ran to Paul and they pulled Paul away, saving him from being killed by his own people. And they start to drag him off and they're going to take him to prison. And Paul says, hey, wait, 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 just a minute. And he speaks to them in Greek. And they go, well, you know Greek? Yeah. Well, what do you want? I want to talk to those guys before you separate me. So he kind of puts up a little podium there on the stairway. And for the next 20 chapters or 20 verses in that chapter, he tells his life story to all the Jews that were trying to kill him. Hey, I understand why you're trying to kill me. I understand all too well. I tried to kill people like me. I, Paul, went from church to church to church persecuting Gentiles or persecuting the church, trying to kill them. I, we killed a lot of them. And then one day, Jesus appeared to me. This bright light came, knocked me off the horse. I was on this road to Damascus, and all of a sudden, he started to speak to me. This Jesus, by the way, whom you crucified, he says, this Jesus is still alive. And he spoke to me, and he said, why are you doing this? And I said, I didn't think you really existed, but now I see you do. And he's blind for three, for three days, and they take him, and uh, the church nurtures him, and and cares for him and 
helps him and he starts to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And Jesus said, I want you to go. And I want you to go to the Gentiles. I want you to go to the world. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but this was not music to the, to the ears of the Jews. They were here to gather to worship in their Judaism, and now this Messiah thing comes up again. So they have one request to the Romans. Let them go so we can kill them. And they start going after me, and the Romans pull them off. They take them off, and they're, they're saying, we got to save this guy. But on the way, they decide, hey, he doesn't like Caesar either. Let's just beat him. Let's just flog him, because we're Romans, and he's not. Let's just flog him. And so they start to whip him, and he goes, hey, just a minute, while you're doing this, uh, do you do this to like all the Roman citizens? And they go, wait, 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 wait a minute. You're a Roman citizen? Yeah, I'm a Roman citizen. What? That must have cost you a lot of money. The, the one guy says, I had to pay a lot of money to become, oh, no, I was born. You, what? I was born a Roman citizen, Paul says. If you beat a Roman citizen without a trial, you can die. And so they just go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they take their hands off him, and then they, he just goes to their court system, and he ends up in Rome, in prison, and he's sitting in prison, and he's going, good grief, I go to this temple to worship God, I want to get clean in myself, and they start saying, you defiled the temple, and, and they won't even let me bring my friends, and they start beating the tar out of me, and then my citizenship saved me here, and all my family doesn't want me, and all this kind of stuff, and he's, you can just feel the frustration and the pain, and, and all the passion that's going through his life, and then he, he gets his pen out, and he says, but now, in Christ, Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. I've been brought near to Christ, and he's my peace. I once was far from Christ, he talks about earlier in that chapter, but now I'm in Christ. I once was without hope, as everyone without Christ is, without God, without promises of, of the covenant, and now I'm... I'm in Christ, and being in Christ brought me near to him. By the way, we go through all the categories you want to in this world. There's only two, far from Christ and in Christ. Far from Christ, without hope, without promises, without God in this world. In Christ, well, he's our peace. Not just he's no conflict, not just there's smoothness of peace, but as Matt talked about a couple weeks ago, it's, he's our shalom, that, that rightness, that, that godness, that ideal of the best possible way of living that was, that was manifested in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve before they rebelled and fell. That shalom, he's our shalom. You're in him, we're in shalom. The, oh, this is the way it was always meant to be because I'm in Christ and he's drawing me to God. But, not only is he our peace, he makes peace. He's our peace maker. He's our shalom giver. So that not only do I now in Christ have peace and shalom, and I'm living the right way I need to live, the best way I can live, but now I can, I can also be a, a maker of peace. How in the world? Well, this is the intention that God had for the beginning. Not that there's walls and difficulties and hostilities, whether it's on an international basis or whether it's in your home. That's not God's plan. That's not shalom. That's not the best possible way of living. You know that. 
well, what do I, how in the, that's easier, that's easier said than done for Pete's sake. What in the world? How in the world can I, can I have peace in a world like this and with, with them, people? Only through the cross. He's the maker of peace through the cross. He takes down the walls. He, he's, a, he's a barrier breaker. In fact, he puts to death hostilities. When he died on the cross, he, he puts to death hostilities. And you're going, well, oof, oof. It's only through the cross. I want you to think about something. That person you have a difficult relationship with, the only cure for that is through the cross person you hate person that irritates you may you go with that person to the foot of the cross the foot of the cross levels that all out the foot of the cross says you are you are nobody special necessarily it's not your lineage your heritage your skin color your economic situation your educational situation it's it's not what you've accomplished or haven't accomplished it's not at the cross, you're all level because you all were far from him, and now you're brought in him, and you're brought at peace, and it's at, at the cross that we find peace with one another. The peacemaker allows us to be peacemakers. And if you're going, I, I can't do that. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I'm not, I'm not there. What I would say is you've yet to comprehend the depths of the cross. You, you think you're doing Jesus a favor by being a part of his kingdom. I'm so glad Jesus was able to find me. I have so much to offer him. No, that's not true. You, when you were separate, you were in battle with him. Even if you did good, your good was like filthy rags to him. You... You can't imagine what it was like for him to take you an enemy and make you a family member, to take you a foreigner and let you have citizenship. It took the very blood of God on the cross for you to get there. And he says, everyone else, that same price was paid so that you can come together at the foot of the cross and reconciliation. I, there's, a, there's a lot of things you need to do in your marriage to keep that thing healthy and maybe reconcile it or get over the bumps that you're going by. I'll tell you one thing that's going to help a lot. You both go to the foot of the cross together. That person that, that's been bothering you for all these years, you go to the foot of the cross together. Peacemakers. Shalom champions. And then he says, Christ came and he preached peace he preached peace he was a carrier of the peace it doesn't mean he just stood up there and gave three-point sermons in a little poem all that he, pre he carried peace everywhere he went he took peace with him and he and he laid it all out so that both parties jew and gentile us and them them and him well i mean however you want to divide people up 
everybody has now full access to God. We don't have to go through a courtyard and another courtyard and another courtyard and another courtyard and break through the priest and jump in there to somehow look behind the curtain and find if God's really there. Now he's alive and in our midst and he's with us. And we all have full access. And as we carry peace to one another, we allow them to have access along with us to the very presence of God. He draws us near by that very thing. He draws us near. He pulls us in. I start to wonder when I read that, I, I wonder, am I, am I more like Herod's temple or the cross? Am I a carrier of God's peace? Am I, am I inviting people to the table to come before the cross and to enjoy the peace and reconciliation? Or, or am I like Herod's temple where I'm, I'm a barrier to people ever getting to God because I'm the wall. They just can't get over me. I can't see Jesus because of you, Don, in our relationship. Your attitude, your words, the way you treat people, the way you treat me, I can't get to God. I wonder if I'm more of a barrier than a carrier. He preached peace, he presented peace, and he, he calls us to do the same thing. Be carriers of this peace to others. That people might know Jesus. There's, a, there's an attraction to that. That if I can, if I can reconcile with you it, through the love of the cross, that, that there's a there's a God thing that starts to happen between us. So that we who are in his kingdom and in his family, we start to act differently and treat each other differently than that. It's a compelling force. It's a, it's a, it's a new way of living when that happens. Well, I want to give you some practical things to go, to go with this. And in your, in your journal, if you go to the book of Philippians, the second chapter, it asks you, hey, read through this and, and try to find out what, what are ways about Jesus that, that make a difference and, and that you can apply to being in this kingdom, this family person? I want to give you, you don't have to go even more than, than two verses into it. I'm going to give you four questions to ask yourself. They're really what comes in, in there. It says, you have any encouragement through unity with God? Is there any encouragement? In other words, what, when Jesus took the walls down and invited you in to be no longer a stranger or an enemy, but to be family. And, 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 and so said, so do, do you get any encouragement from that? What Jesus did for you on the cross? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> he did so. You should. You should be encouraged. Well, then have the same mind. Encourage others. How about this? Do you have any comfort from the love of Jesus? From what all he did for you? Does that comfort you at all? Well, then have the same kind of mind and comfort others. Is there any fellowship with the Spirit? That you have, do you have fellowship? That, that word fellowship is kind of a churchy word, but there's no good word that translates. You get some of the new translations, and it just sounds so mamby-pamby, so I'm just staying church with you. Now, don't go too churchy with me, because usually when I think of fellowship in the church, it's like a green bean casserole on a covered dish, you know, and you know where it's going, I don't even want to. But, but that word is koinonia. That word is, there's... There's something about that fellowship that's connected to God that connects me to you. In the early church, chapter 2, verse 42, 
The, the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, and they were devoted to the breaking of the bread, and they were devoted to prayer, and they were devoted to koinonia. They were devoted to this special kind of fellowship that happens only in the family, only in the kingdom, heart to heart, soul to soul. You got any, got any fellowship with the Spirit? Show other people fellowship. Tenderness, compassion that you receive from God. Now, what would it be like if every Sunday, instead of coming here, you said, I wonder what's in it for me. I hope the songs are my favorite. I hope they don't have a guest preacher again. I think, you know, I, whatever. I hope, you know, they, they keep my kids extra time. Or what. what if instead you came to church and said, I'm going to do one of these four things. I'm going to look for someone that needs encouragement. I'm going to look for somebody that maybe just needs a hug. I'm going to try to be tender and compassionate to somebody. I, I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to fellowship. Maybe it's at my small group. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, it's not in the church even. Maybe it's somebody out there. If you're a teacher or if you're a, a coach or in your, your people that work with you or for you, just to, how can I encourage? I mean, if we're a part of this kingdom, you don't have to go solve the Mideast crisis and bring the Jews and the Arabs together. And, and look, that, That's probably a little beyond your doing. But you can encourage your spouse. You can have fellowship with your neighbor. You, you can treat somebody with the same love that Christ showed you. You can love them and comfort them. You can do that. I wonder if instead of anything else for the next, the next week, you would just at least look at that much and say, God, what do you want to use me today to encourage, comfort, fellowship, show compassion? Today, wherever I go. Next Sunday, Lord, when I go to, how about start today, before I walk out the door, is there somebody I can give encouragement to? I love that word encouragement. Courage that you put into somebody. Somebody today, well, just a smile, just a handshake, just a hug, just a few words, they will, they will be encouraged to the point where their whole week will be different because you, you encourage them. We have enough discouraging, and we have enough courage drainers all week. Wouldn't it be great? Every time you come to church, you know you're going to leave encouraged. That's what the kingdom does. That's what the family does. That's the household that we're in. That's this temple that the Spirit indwells in you so that you are a carrier, not a barrier. Start with those two verses of Scripture in Philippians. See what God does with you. As we close, um, here's one thing that, that just kind of hammers, oh, I, I, I guess I, I got to bring this up. If you were to describe where you're at, with God, would you say, I'm, I'm far, I'm far from God? Or would you say, I'm in Christ? Far from God or in Christ? Those, those are really the two categories. Not Jew, Gentile, male, female. Far from Christ, in Christ. Here's what I want you to know. It's a, it's a huge separation between those two, but it's as close 
It's as close as a prayer to bridge them. It's that close. You could move from hopeless, promiseless, godless to citizen, family member, temple of the Holy Spirit. Like that. I wonder this morning before we leave, if you would just make that prayer, if you are far from him. I'd like you just to bow your heads with me if you would. Lord Jesus, thank you for the kingdom of God. Thank you for coming to this earth to allow us to become your children, citizens in your kingdom. And Lord, as we've gone through this series, we, we know what you're ideal for. We know your image that we have fallen from, that we've rebelled against. We're so grateful that you pursue us. We're so grateful that Jesus Christ came to die on the, on the cross for us. Today, this kingdom that he sets up, we want to be a part of it. I pray that as we close, if there's somebody here that, that would, would just under their breath make this prayer, I pray that not only would you hear it, but you would transition them from far away to in Christ. If you're here, if you would just say, Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen away and rebelled from what you have for me. No, you died on the cross. By faith, come and live in my heart. Let me start today on a journey where I receive your encouragement and comfort, fellowship. Live within me. Koinonia in me. That I might do the same to others. Pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk with you more. There's pastors out there. Baptisms are coming up. Great way to make that cemented. But may God's family be ingrained in your heart. And may his kingdom and his, his, his reign and rule be alive in your life today. And as you leave, walk out as a carrier of the grace of God. God bless you. You're dismissed.